And we are reading from Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 55, reading from verse 1. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you not know, you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of burrs, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. So welcome this morning. It's wonderful that we can spend some time uh, digging into God's word. Easter is a time where Christians throughout centuries have spent time focusing in on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we've been doing that here at Brighton as we've been working through a series of prophecies uh, by the prophet Isaiah. Now, if you don't know Isaiah, uh, Isaiah lived around seven centuries BC. So about 700 years 
prior to the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection, Isaiah spoke to God's people uh, in Israel. Uh, And he came and he spoke of a man he called the servant of the Lord. Now, this morning, I don't want to give you a history lesson. I don't want to just talk to you about something that was relevant 2,700 years ago. What I want to do is talk about God's word with you, which is just as relevant today, just as relevant to us as it was to them there. These words spoken 2,700 years ago are intensely practical and intensely personal. Why would I say that? Because really what we got in that second chapter that was read for us, that Isaiah 55, is a description of a people in search of peace. When I say peace, not just peace, the absence of conflict, but peace in terms of blessing, in terms of meaning, in terms of purpose. Those categories, those things that we crave, and they are just as real for us today as it was for Israel 2700 BC. To seek peace is to be human, any culture, any time. And this morning we're going to be using Isaiah's uh, prophecy in Isaiah 55 as a guide. I have four points for you, just so you can work out roughly where we are. Uh, We're going to talk about striving, number one. Invitation, number two. Number three is acceptance. And number four is the guarantee. Let's dig in. As I said, Isaiah spoke 700 BC to God's people at a particular turning point in their history. Things had kind of been going okay for them for a little while. They'd had some peace and security, but things were about to take a very big turn for the worse. Babylon was going to come, was going to conquer the nation, take them into exile, and Isaiah spoke to a people who were going to face the loss of everything they held dear. He spoke to a people who were going to lose peace. He spoke to them and told them where they could find it. Now, in the passage that was read, it had a number of different descriptions. In verse 2, he talks of satisfaction. Verse 3, there's love and security. Verse 5, there's splendor. Verse 12, there's peace and joy. But all of these things come under that larger category of peace. It's what uh, the Bible Uh, or in the original language, was known as shalom. You've probably heard that word. The Jewish people actually use it as a greeting. They say shalom. It's like g'day, but they're blessing. They're asking a blessing of peace upon you. Isaiah talks about this, and he talks about it in terms of that we might have life. Not Not that the people then... Their hearts weren't beating, their breath wasn't going in and out, their biological functions had shut down. It's not biology that they're talking about. But Isaiah comes and he says, listen to me, listen to me and eat what is good. You will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. 
He's inviting them. He's promising them. He's going to give them the answer to which every human being wants the answer, every question, the answer. I'll try and say that again. He's going to give the answer to the question that every human being is asking. Got it. Because uh, it's not enough just to survive, isn't it? We don't wake up in the morning and go, I hope I'm alive at the end of the day. And that's all I want from this day. I just want to be breathing. Well, maybe you do. Do you? Okay, hopefully that's not. But most of us, we look for that larger thing. We want life to be more than just biology. And the quest that Israel was on for satisfaction, for love and security, for splendor, for peace and life is one that we have as well. We have the same quest with different names. We have achievement, belonging, acceptance, self-respect. The word of the moment, if you go out and Google all these things and look in the bookstore, it's flourishing. We want a life that is flourishing. Do you? Of course you do. To want this is, is human. And Isaiah is saying, he will tell us God's words on how to find it. Because Israel had been looking in all the wrong places. They'd been relying upon themselves. So Hezekiah the king, when, uh, when Isaiah was prophesying, uh, he had some envoys come from Babylon. And he was, uh, he was bragging a little bit. It's like, uh, you know, I can remember going across and uh, seeing a friend who had a new car. Oh, come and see the new car. And, of course, his car was infinitely better than my car. Made me feel massively insecure. Uh, but I can deal with that. I can deal with that. But Hezekiah does the same with the envoys for Babylon. Takes him through the armory. Takes him to the treasury. Shows him everything. What a wonderfully strong nation we are. Well, that didn't work out so well for Hezekiah's descendants. Israel looked to their self-reliance. They looked for the worship of foreign gods. They looked at other nations that were kind of doing it a bit better than they were and thought, well, maybe if we get on board with their gods, we will be, we'll be set up for the future. Works for them. They looked for political alliance because Israel was still a relatively small country. So they looked for their big neighbours and kind of sucked up to them and said, ah, oh, look, we'll give you some money if you come and rescue us if they're going to be nasty. They looked to find these things in all these different ways. But it didn't pay off. As I told you, Israel ended up going into exile in Babylon itself. And there another prophet speaks of them, not just their physical condition, but their spiritual condition. And he describes them like a valley of dry bones. They're not just dead. They're not just lying there on the ground as corpses, spiritually speaking. It is dried up. This is an old battlefield from ever ago. It didn't pay off. Do we do it any better? Well, we look for salvation. We don't talk about it in terms of salvation, but we look for these things. And in a personal sense, we, we look for it in the stuff that we accumulate. We look for it in the achievements, the relationships, the experience that we can enjoy. 
But if we're serious about these things, you can have a great holiday. Hans and Christine, I hope you have a great one. But you know what? Every holiday I come back after, I start planning the next one. It never really kind of lasts, does it? Okay. You start thinking, oh, that was good, but it's now in the past. I've got to have something more. It's got to be something. It's got to be the next thing. It's got to be the next thing. They asked Rockefeller, who was a very, very wealthy American businessman 100 years ago, uh, how much money was enough? This guy was phenomenally wealthy. Do you know what he said? Just one more dollar. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Achievement. Madonna. You know, the pop singer. Okay, whether you like her music or not, you'd actually have to say Madonna has achieved something. Yes? She was interviewed by Vogue magazine, and this is what she said. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Has she found peace in the success, in the fame, in the money, in everything else that has come with that? My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. What about the stuff that we accumulate? Well, Calvin and Hobbes, you know the cartoon, they say it brilliantly. There's Calvin saying to Hobbes, getting is better than having. When you get something, it's new and exciting. When you have something, you take it for granted and it's boring. But everything you get turns into something you have. That's why you always need to get new things. That's why you always need to get new things. A philosopher by the name of Zygmunt Bauman commented on our modern society and he said, the number one product of modern Western society is waste. Exactly why? Because stuff can never satisfy. We look for these things. We crave peace and we chase these different things. I don't know what it is that you're chasing, but can you echo some of these, this, this frustration, this striving, if only I had this, and then you get it and it doesn't work. And even if you have it, even if, say, work is your thing and you find work intensely fulfilling, one day you are going to retire and you're going to walk out. And I've talked to businessmen, I've talked to businesswomen in those days afterwards and I've seen their lives cut adrift. They were someone, everyone deferred to them, but now they're just the old bloke or the old girl at the supermarket. And no one really cares who they were. One day Madonna will not be able to get up on stage and sing, or if she did, you probably wouldn't pay to listen to her. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And maybe us as a, as a nation, what do we look for? We look for corporate kind of salvation. You know, if we can finally get all the right people happening in our culture and we can do this unity and diversity thing really well, then we'll all live together in peace and harmony. It'll be wonderful. Well, will it? Well, maybe we need the right political leaders. That's what's coming up for us now, isn't it? And Australians are cynical enough to know that neither one of these is going to be our saviour. Yes? 
Okay, maybe you're not. Maybe we look at the issues we're facing and we're saying some, some person with the brain the size of a small planet is going to solve these problems for us away in a lab. You know, they're going to solve life's problems. They're going to turn energy out of nothing. They're going to create food out of thin air. They're going to renew the atmosphere and the carbon and all this kind of stuff. They're going to make all the problems go away. Well, I've been alive long enough to know that for every problem solved, there's also problems created. Do we honestly believe these things can save us? They can give us peace. Well, there was a very smart guy about a thousand years, a little little bit older than than Isaiah. Uh, He's known in the Bible as the teacher. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he checks out all this searching and striving after meaning. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a refrain that goes through it. And he says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He looks at everything and he says, if this is all there is, the word meaningless is like it's a mist or a vapor. It's here now, but in a second it could be gone. And it just will not last. The things that we chase... The teacher tells us with wisdom that maybe exceeds our own because we haven't learnt this lesson and they've been teaching it for thousands of years that we look for these things in all the wrong places. And Isaiah talks about it. If you've got your Bibles there, look at it. He talks about, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Because why? Why spend money on what is not bread? Verse 2. And your labor on what does not satisfy. Isaiah is telling us, and God is telling us through Isaiah, that we are chasing, we are spending ourselves, our resources and our labor, our, our effort to get something that will not deliver. Why spend money on what cannot what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Greek mythology. Uh, In Greek mythology, uh, there's a story of a Corinthian king by the name of Sisyphus. Has anyone heard about Sisyphus? That's a name that's kind of fallen. I'm I'm disappointed, Elspeth and Christoph, that you didn't have baby Sisyphus. Maybe the next parents, okay? Uh, Sisyphus, though, no, probably not a good guy to name your kids after, is, is a fairly arrogant individual and made some fairly arrogant boasts before the gods, so the story goes. Not a good thing, okay, can I say? Not a good thing. The Greek gods, very petty, very vengeful. So Zeus curses this man and his job for eternity is to carry a large rock to the top of a hill But the rock itself is enchanted to mean that it will slip out of his grasp and roll all the way to the bottom just as he gets to the top. And so he will go back down, pick it up, carry it up again, it will flow back down the bottom. Again and again and again and again and again. Isaiah is saying exactly the same thing. Ecclesiastes is saying exactly the same thing and our experience will testify to this that chasing after meaning, chasing after purpose, ultimately chasing peace, chasing blessing through the ways that we do is like trying to carry that rock to the top. It costs 
so much in terms of our energy, in terms of our pouring ourselves out, and it just cannot deliver. It slips through our fingers. Isaiah describes them as having no money. Their quest has impoverished them. They've got nothing left. And he's got a wonderful message we're just about to turn to. But you know what? This is not just a silly thing. It's not just that they've made a stupid mistake. It's not morally neutral, but it's profoundly spiritual. Another prophet by the name of Jeremiah, roughly the same time as Isaiah, he speaks to Israel and he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So as they've chased off after other things, as we chase off after other things, we are digging our own wells, but they can't, they can't hold water. But as we do that, we reject the spring, the spring of living water. As we seek peace and shalom in all these places, we reject the one who made us and promised to give those things if we look for them in him. It's not a morally neutral thing. Verse 7, it talks about Israel and us as wicked, as unrighteous. It talks about us being under judgment. Now, I just want to step a little bit back from the text at the moment and talk about this because it's been in the press a little bit recently. Yes, does the name Israel Folau mean anything to you? And we have yeah, lots of nods around the place. Uh, people, Christians and non-Christians, are quite uncomfortable that this guy has come out there and spoke of judgment. Now, I want to say, if I'd said it, I might have said it a little bit more tactfully than perhaps he did. But what he said is completely consistent with Scripture. But our society doesn't like the idea of judgment. And maybe that's you this morning. You're sitting there thinking, actually, oh, no, no, no. The idea of judgment and hell, no, nah, that's, that's what keeps me keeping God at arm's length. But can I suggest to you just briefly, you need it. You need it because unless there is accountability, unless there is judgment, there cannot be meaning so imagine you're at school let me illustrate you're at school and you're given a task of writing an essay each day but you know the teacher is going to throw that essay in the bin after a while what do you do you just start scribbling meaningless nothing on the paper it has no purpose no meaning it's absolutely pointless we need judgment why? Because it gives our lives meaning. Not only does it give our lives meaning in terms of are they going to be evaluated in the positive and the negative, but it actually means also if there is no judgment, then the stuff that has happened to us, those horrendous things that some of us have been through, well, that's meaningless as well. That's utterly meaningless. Because ultimately... There are people who get away with it. And in this life, they evade justice. 
and your pain is not, not acknowledged. You cry out in your heart for judgment. But you recognize, you've got to recognize, that as you cry out for judgment on them, that judgment needs to be universal. And the Bible testifies that we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. And that should reassure us. That should reassure us. There's a quest that we're on. A quest for peace. Now, can I say that's my first point. My next three points are going to be a little bit briefer. So don't panic at this point. Okay. There's an invitation that's out there. Let me read to you. Come to me, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, come you have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Verse 3, or verse 2 and a bit. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. The invitation is out there. The invitation to find what it is that we have been craving. The invitation, not just to feed our hunger, not just to get the bread and the water that we need to subsist, but what does he promise? You will delight in the riches of fair. I don't know uh, if you've got friends who are good cooks. Yes? You love it when they invite you around, don't you? Because you're not going to be having bread and water. You're looking forward to that Oh, it's so good. These people, they're inviting me around. And they ask, oh, it is, you know that. I've had some friends over the years who've been um, connoisseurs of the fine wine. So they're not going to pull out the cask. You're going to get something that's going to be amazing. Well, this is an invitation to something even better than that. Not the bread and water that you need, but the richest of fare. Spiritually, this is the shalom that you have been craving the one that we're not at rest unless we find it. An old theologian by the name of Augustine, in old language, he says, Thou hast formed us for thyself, speaking to God. He's made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. We'll look for peace in every single place, but we will never find it unless we answer this invitation. And it's an invitation that is extraordinary. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That doesn't mean that it's, it's worth nothing. In the same way as your friend, you don't pay to accept that invitation. They have paid maybe extraordinary amounts of money to feast with you. And that is what we remember at Easter, that this richest affair, this peace, this wine and milk that comes to us without cost is extraordinarily expensive. But it's just that God, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, has paid that. Jesus himself echoes this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Echoes of Isaiah 55, yes? Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Never. And he's not just offering sustenance. John 10.10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and life 
to the full, the best life, the richest of fare. This is what we're looking for. Now, this morning, you may be a Christian and you may be listening to this and go, oh, this is great for someone who's not. Well, can I actually say this is great for you? This is great for you. Do you know what it is that you have? Do you look at the Lord Jesus? Do you come to Easter, uh, to Resurrection Sunday, to Good Friday? Do you come each and every day with gratitude and amazement and awe that God would invite you in freely to life to the full? Do you know what you have? Are you tempted to look in other places as well? You know, Jesus, he's okay. But you know what? I'm going to chase all these other things. Are we tempted? Do we also recognize that we are witnesses? Verse 5. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, He has endowed you with splendor. When a life is changed by this kind of grace, when you have delighted in the riches of fair, when a church is obsessed with this, it becomes incredibly attractive. Christian, do you know what you have? But for everyone else, maybe this morning you're here and, yeah, Jesus, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Is this scare tactics? Well, no. But there will be a time when it is too late. What I can can say is at the moment this invitation stands. But we do not know beyond this. Have you accepted? If you were, how would you do it? Brings us to point three, acceptance. We don't do acceptance very well. uh, And uh, I'd like to blame Facebook. Um, You know how you can say going, uh, but it doesn't actually mean you are. Uh, You can say maybe, which means I kind of want to show a bit of support for the person who's doing it, but I have really no intention of being, but it would be rude to say no. Um, And so uh, those who've used Facebook invitations, uh, Mark and Angelica's wedding here, um, I don't know how many people... uh, whether the numbers you get on Facebook actually bear any resemblance. We don't do accepting invitations well. We kind of want to say yes to everything. The younger generation will tell me that this is called FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. So I'll say yes to four different events on the same night and I'll spend more time in the car travelling from party to party to party to party than I will at the parties. Uh, But I've been there and isn't that amazing? But what Jesus here, what... The Lord's word is actually saying is you have to accept this one and none others. You have to accept this invitation and decline every single other one. It's more like a a marriage proposal. Imagine you get proposed. Guy, girl, doesn't matter. You get the same person gets proposed to three times in the same day and says yes to each of them. How does that work? It doesn't. And it's the same here. This is an invitation that you must say yes to while saying no to everyone else. Your yes is only as good as your no. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. That's what the Bible calls repentance. You're turning away from every other option. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. You're turning away repentance. You're putting your trust. You're turning to the Lord, the one who has invited you to the richest of banquets. We are called to accept this wholeheartedly. He has offered you what you desperately need. And how is this possible? Because if we look at it, if we look at ourselves, by what right would we feast at the table of the Lord? None. Absolutely none. The first reading that Sue read for us spoke of the servant. Let me read to you. Surely he took up our pain. Now, the Bible makes it clear that this is Jesus and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. The shalom that we crave is given because Christ stood in our place. He bore our sin. He willingly took up what we deserved in our place so that we might have what he deserves. The invitation to share in every spiritual blessing. This is Easter. This is what we celebrate. The fact that Christ died for sins. So that we might come freely to buy without cost. To accept by repentance and faith the free gift that is there. Christ is the bread of life. He is the one who promises that if we eat of him we will never hunger. And if we drink of him we will never thirst. He is the one who brings Isaiah 55 to reality. But he asks you, he asks you to say yes, saying no to every other thing. Why would you do that? How could you trust his word? Well, let me take you back to Isaiah 55. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Why would you trust him? Because God is able. His word spoke creation into being. Why would you trust him? Because God is not only able, but he keeps his word. His word will not return to him empty. And that's what we celebrate this Easter. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ 
is the ultimate evidence that our God can be trusted. God's faithfulness to Jesus. The Apostle Peter, one of the early preachers in the church, he preached the first Christian sermon. And he speaks of God's promise. He says, God raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my tongue is glad and my, t- my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your holy one see decay. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That is the ultimate proof that our God can be trusted. And this morning the invitation remains. So if you are someone who has yet to put your faith, yet to turn away from all these dead ends, if you're someone who has yet to put their trust in God through accepting that invitation in Christ, maybe that's something to do this morning. I would love to chat to you. The people around you who you know are regular members of this church, they would love to chat to you. Take it further. As Jesus says, as Isaiah said, come to me, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you you who have no money, come buy and eat, Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Listen to me, listen and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing invitation that we can accept freely. All you ask is that we put our trust in someone, yourself, who has shown himself to be trustworthy above all things. All you ask is that we turn away from the dead ends, from the cracked wells, from the the pointless searching and striving, that we turn from those things and put our trust in you. Father, I pray for any here this morning who are yet to do that, that they might accept the invitation and find true life through faith in your son. Father, I pray for all who have made that step, that they would see what an amazing thing that they have been invited into and they would continue to live and to hold out the invitation so that others might come. And we pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.